The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. Thank you, Jim. The words in that song are, Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who rules and reigns forevermore. Amen. I want to ask uh, you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 12 this morning. We're going to pick up in there. And I just want to say thank you to Antoine for bringing a message last week that reminded us, yeah, uh, that reminded us that God has called us to walk in holiness. Be holy for I am holy. Uh, as I listened last week, uh, I thought, you know what, if I were a parent of a, of a student and I am a grandparent of a student, I thought, you know what, I'm thankful that we have student ministry leaders that focus on the Word of God and calling our kids to know Him, to follow Him, trust Him, and proclaim His name. Can you just say thank the Lord for that uh, ministry team that He's put together with our students? Uh, this morning, I've entitled, we're picking up in Genesis chapter 12, and I entitled the message, Faith Answers the Call. Think about that. Faith answers the call. We see in Abraham's life, as we saw last time we were in Genesis, that, that God had called him out from that dark place of Ur. And it was by faith that Abraham had to follow what God had commanded him to do. Without a step, there is no faith. Can anybody say amen to that? God calls, God speaks, God directs, and everything in the believer's life as we follow Him is an act of faith. It should be an act of faith, that we're trusting God in His direction and His leading in our life. As we saw wrapping up in Genesis chapter 11, that story of the Tower of Babel, where all of the inhabitants of the earth at that time, probably around 2,500 or so, had decided that they would build this tower that would reach to the heavens, and their intent was to make a great name for themselves, and they wanted to dethrone God as God and ruler. And so God comes in, and God confuses their languages so that they are dispersed to different areas. And while God had brought down, in a sense, if you will, that, that insurrection that had taken place, that, that God had dismissed them from that place and dispersed them, that that heart of Babel still triumphed everywhere that they went. And so here we find Abraham sometime later in Ur of the area of Chaldea, and we find that the earth was really just as dark as it was in the days of Noah. Ur was a place where they were polytheistic. They worshiped multiple gods, primarily the lunar god and all the other gods that went along with that. Archaeologists have, have uh, uncovered ruins there at the temple there in Ur where they worshiped the moon god to find bones and skeletons where there was actual human sacrifices that would have been made there. And Abraham was a part of this kind of worship. Now, I'm not saying that Abraham sacrificed in life, but he was a part of that. This polytheistic worship of other gods permeated the land of Ur from the birth to the grave. That if you were a part of Ur, you worshiped this sun god. And I pontificated, I thought about what it might have been for Abraham there. Perhaps 
Maybe he had gone up to the top of that temple mount where they worshiped the moon god and other pagan gods. And maybe he contemplated that, that they were worshiping this moon god, but he sees the moon and says, there's got to be something beyond that. I can see the moon and I can worship the moon, but, but the moon is so splendorous, where did it come from? There has to be something more beyond that. And it was in that place that we see that God called Abraham unto himself. The thing I find remarkable about this is that it's the same thing that happens today. Every human being that that comes to faith in Christ has a point in their life that God calls them and speaks to them, and we may say that we sought God. But can I tell you, according to the Scriptures, we are unable to seek God. It's God who seeks us and calls us to Himself. Thank God for that this morning. So God calls Abraham. The true God, the living God, reveals Himself to Abraham, and He calls him out of that dark world. And so I want to look at, in verses 1 and 3 of chapter 12, Abraham's call and the promises that God made to Abraham. Follow along with me as I read. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your kindred, in your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I'll make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed." I can only imagine, we're not quite sure what Abraham's age was at this time, but he was an adult male, and he had had this circle of life there in Ur, and all of a sudden, the living God speaks to him, and he doesn't ask him to go. Notice there's a command here, and in the Hebrew, it's an emphatic command, go! Think about it. I'd go to a psychiatrist. Steve, I'd get an appointment with you and say, what's happening here? God speaks to Abraham, and he says, go. Now, I think about this. This had to be a shocking and probably an agonizing decision for Abraham to be obedient to what the living God that he had never heard of before speaks to him and then says, go. Notice what he tells him to leave behind. This is Abraham's personal sacrifice at the calling of God in his life. He says, Abraham, I want you to leave your country Abraham, I want you to leave your kindred or your people that you are a part of, that, that that's all you've ever known, and I want you to leave your father's household, your immediate and extended family. I want you to leave all of that. Go, uh, God, where am I going? I'll tell you when you get there. <laughs> it's kind of like putting your GPS on west. Did everybody catch that? I'll tell you when you get there. And so God calls Abraham to leave his country, to leave his kindred, to leave his people. And he says, I'll let you know when you get there where you're going. I love how John Calvin, don't get wigged out, okay? John Calvin said this, 
as he kind of paraphrases the command here. He says, Abraham, I command you to go forth with closed eyes and forbid you to inquire where I am about to lead you until, having renounced your country, you shall have given yourself wholly to me. You see, Abraham was asked to believe God and to obey him on the bare word of God. Not like me, and not like you, perhaps. Well, God, where am I going? God, what can I take with me? God, what can I expect to encounter along the way? God, can I wait a little bit longer until I get just enough in my 401k? Abraham, go. I'm calling you now, and now is the time for you to go. As I think about this, there is a, an extreme parallelism between Abraham's call and the call on every individual that God calls to come to know him by faith through Jesus Christ. We act based on the Word of God. Jesus has spoken, and he says, come and follow me. Well, Jesus, what are the conditions? Well, let me tell you the conditions. I want you to follow me, but, but you've got to understand, foxes do not have any place where they can lay their head. Neither do the foxes have places where they, but the Son of Man has no place where he might lay his head. Now, I want you to come, and I want you to follow me. Well, Jesus, how are we going to make a living if we follow you? Don't worry about that. My Father Every good and perfect gift comes from him. Now come and follow me. Based on a word from him, we come and we follow him. And he says, I want you to leave everything else behind to follow me. Can I say this? In the gospel, there is no provision at all when he calls us to be able to drag along everything that we had and be, be assured that we're going to be able to keep all of that to follow Jesus. Jesus says, leave it all and follow me. I'm reminded of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. He said, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. It's a comparison kind of love there. He's not telling us not to love our fathers and our mothers, but he's saying, listen, that those two human beings that had soul prominence in your life, I'm telling you, you've got to love me more than you love them. You've got to follow me. Mark chapter 8, verse 35, he says this, For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. You see, the call to Jesus, the call that Jesus puts out, is not a call that says you can put a cross on your neck, it's not a call that says you can buy a Bible and it doesn't matter if you never read it or not to know me. That we can just attend the right kind of services. That we can have things just the way that we want them. Jesus says, call me and be willing to forsake everything for my name. I'm afraid in America we've lost that sense of Jesus calling us to follow him. 
we put our own categories into what it means to follow Jesus. And, and there is absolutely nothing wrong with the goodness and the blessings that God brings in our life, but sometimes the American attitude is, I want to follow Jesus as long as I can fit him into what my already substantiated, comfortable lifestyle is. And Jesus says, no, if you're going to follow me, man, you got to come out of that, and i got to be number one in your life. It's a call. The church rightly is criticized for decades of having what we call that easy believism. And at the end of the service, we say, just pray this prayer after me, and everything's going to be hunky-dory from here on. I'm afraid there are many that prayed that prayer just kind of as a rote thing are going to be sorely surprised when Jesus says, depart from me, for I never knew you. He calls us, you see, the gospel calls us to rest all of our hope on the word of Christ and nothing else. I was reading a Babylon Bee. How many of you are familiar with Babylon Bee? It's a Christian, some of you did this, okay? No, there's so much truth in this statement. The headline was this, millennial progressive Christian believes everything about God except what the Word of God says about God. You see, we say we believe everything in this book about God, yet we put our own self-centered, self-righteous traditions over what the Word of God says. We're just like the Pharisees who heap extra regulations on others who would want to follow Christ in sincerity and say, you know, I know that's not contained in the book, but this is what you got to do. Jesus had his harshest words for the Pharisees. Do you remember that? Why? Because they had added to the law those things that God had never required. And Jesus said to him, you, you make your followers more of the sons of devil than you. Follow Jesus, his word, and nothing else. You see, when Jesus calls us, he does not guarantee the future or tell us what it will be like. He does promise this. He does promise that he will take us to be with him which is the ultimate land. You see, Abraham couldn't ask, where are we going? God promised him, Abraham, I'm going to get you to that place. He never promises us when we heed that call to follow him where he's going to take us, but we know ultimately he has promised us that I am leaving, but I'm coming back, and I'm going to take you to be with me where I am, and that's the ultimate land that we look for as Christ's followers. He does promise to give us forgiveness and inner peace. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, but I give you my peace. He promises that he will be with us 
Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. And he will be with us through thick and thin, regardless of what life brings, regardless of what we can't understand, right? But he promises, I will be with you. He promises us ultimate good. All things work together for the good and the lives of those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. He doesn't promise us a bed of roses in it, but ultimately in all of life, He will bring good from it. But He does not promise that it will be a smooth road here on earth. (laughs) If the Son of Man suffered paraphrasing what Jesus said. But if, listen, the Son of Man, if I'm going to suffer, I promise you, in this life, you will have trials and tribulations. Now, this kind of preaching doesn't win friends and influence people, right? It's counter to what the culture wants to hear. He does not promise us that that all of our problems will be solved. He does promise, however, to give us wisdom and direction through those, those situations and how to respond to those being led and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. He does not promise us a life of ease. I remember when me and Sandy got saved. Now, everything was euphoric for the first couple of months, right? Of course, we were still newlyweds too. <laughs> so everything's, that's a joke. Anybody get that? <laughs> but it seemed like a short time after we came to know Christ, it seemed as though all hell broke loose in our life. Can anybody else relate to that? I'm glad that I wasn't in a church where they said everything's going to be great when you come to Jesus and you're not going to have any problems. They taught the Word of God and we were equipped to know that, you know, we don't understand what's going on, but God must be at work because everything is falling apart, right? (laughs) He does not promise financial prosperity. You see, He calls you and I to trust him in his word alone. This is the call that Abraham had in his life, and it's very similar to the call that we have in our lives to follow him. Now, I want you to notice that there are some promises that that God gave to Abraham here in these verses. Five times in these two short verses, two and three, he, he says to Abraham five different times that he's going to bless him. And if you look at it carefully, not only are there five times that that word bless or blessed is used, but there are seven different times that there's blessing that that is insinuated in that. And I think when we see the number seven, it's the number of completion in Scripture and what he's telling Abraham, Abraham, trust me, and if you'll trust my word, I am going to wholly bless you completely without any misleading in it. He gives him a personal blessing. He tells Abraham in this verse again, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. Not just a great people, but a great nation. 
Now, Abraham may have scratched his head because we know that Abraham and Sarah were without any children. And we all know this, we're all adults in the room, that when the two come together, they produce, but, but if there's barren, if there's no children, then how will there be a great people and a great nation? Do you think that didn't take some faith? on Abraham's part, to believe God, and that what seems impossible, the underlying thing here is that in these verses, not only did he say that, Abraham, you're going to be blessed, but he said, I will bless you five times. It all depended on God and not self-effort on Abraham's part. By faith, he says, Abraham, I'm, I'm going to make your name great. I kind of find this ironic. When we look back at the Tower of Babel, do you remember what they said? You remember the reason they wanted to build this great tower to, to throw down God, to usurp God's authority, and to elevate themselves? They said, we will make a name for ourselves. And here God promises Abraham, Abraham, they were going to try to make a name for themselves by their self-effort, but I am going to make your name great. I love it. He says, Abraham, I'll make you a great name. And, and most of this, we've got to realize and recognize, Abraham never, ever, ever saw come to fruition. It was all a promise that Abraham held to. The only promise that Abraham really saw was the son that would be given. We're going to look at that later. And the rest of it, Abraham never saw a nation. Abraham saw a, a relatively large, maybe, crowd of those that had journeyed with him from Ur to Hanan and then down through Canaan as they would continue to, to come on board as Abraham preached the gospel message to them. There's some royal language here in, in the original Hebrew. Now, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, and I'm not trying to impress you, but there's there's language that gives to the sense that, Abraham, I'm going to make your name great among royalty. And we see some instances of this in Abraham's life. Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and others blessed Abraham. And we would see it about a, about a thousand years later that, that through Abraham in this promise that God had made to him, we see one of the, the, the greatest king of ever in Israel, King David, that is there. And King David was just in a line of succession to the ultimate king that would one day come and be born where at the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. Abraham never saw this in reality, but he saw it by faith, believing God for his word. Paul writes this in Galatians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. He says, And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed, so that those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. That even in that day, Paul says, when God was speaking to Abraham and Abraham continued to preach it, the gospel was being preached to that, looking forward to the gospel where every nation on earth would be blessed through Jesus Christ, his son, the seed of Abraham. 
Abraham's obedience. Look here in verses 4 and 5. Now, there's some consternation or there's some debate as to, as to when Abraham actually went to Hanan, which is the next location, not very far from Ur to the west, was there with his father. We do know from Genesis chapter 12, it, was, it wasn't until 75 years of age that, that Abraham finally left Harm and, and began to proceed into the land of Canaan where God was taking him. We do know this, though. We do know that his father decided to stay there. Because, you see, in that nation, in that place, in Haran, it was just as pagan as Ur was. Now, there's some speculations we can draw from this. Perhaps his father said, you know, I left Ur, and I found another God here, and I just can't believe in this true God. Abraham, you're crazy. I'm going to let you go on and make a mess of your life. We don't know the reason. The important thing is, is that at that point, Abraham picks up and goes again and makes a decision and choice by faith to follow what the Word of God was to him in his life. As Abraham would have traveled down, there were numerous major cities that they would have come through. And in each of those cities, we find that Abraham worshiped God and he built an altar. For instance, look here in verse uh, 6. Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem to the oak of Morah. Now, we look at that and we think, okay, big oak tree out in the middle of the desert. Pretty cool. And Abraham builds an altar there when God tells him to go in and take possession of the land in Canaan. And I'm going to give you all of this land. What we don't recognize and realize is in that pagan culture where there were many gods that they worshipped, this was a location where all of the witches, if you will, or the soothsayers of these other gods would come and prophesy and proclaim these things. And at every place where Abraham went, we find that he preached the gospel. A better translation, I don't want to say better, but, but the indication here is, in the original, is that every place he went, he preached of this one true God in response to the culture that had many gods that they worshiped. And isn't that what God has called you and I to do? You see, we live in a culture where there are all kinds of gods that are worshiped. They may not be the gods that are the moon god, but they are gods that men make for gods in their lives, and they worship them. And probably one of the greatest gods in our culture is that god of humanism. And just like Abraham, God has called you and I to testify, to proclaim to the one true God, you see, the woke movement would say there, there are many passages there. You Christians are ignorant and you're biased. But as Peter says in his letter, with great gentleness and grace, we're to give a reason for the defense of the faith. We say, no, there's, there's one true God. And there's only one way to this true God, and that is through His Son, Jesus, who shed His blood as a payment for your sin and my sin, that if we would trust Him and believe His Word, then we will be saved. 
Abraham does this. He continues to travel on and, and, and listen to what. He, he recognized that there was a place that God was calling him to, that God was calling him out of these other nations, out of these other worlds, if you will, out of these other gods that were worshipped. And it's very parallel to what God has called you and I to as believers and Christ followers, as Peter records in his letter. Listen to what Peter says. Peter says this, as soon as I get there, Peter says to us, verse 9 of chapter 2, he says, but you, who's he talking to? Who's Peter writing to? Believers. And the same words inspired by the Holy Spirit in that day when Peter wrote these are addressed to you and I. He says, but you are a chosen race. Can I parentheses here? I'm going to get in trouble. I'm just going to go ahead and underline that. But I'm disturbed at the agenda that we see in our culture today to try to cause us to segregate into our tribes and forget the other. I'm speaking to the church right now. The church, the world might do that, but God has not given us the privilege to do that in the body of Christ. We are one race in Christ. He says, he has your chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners or pilgrims, some of your translations might read, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. And what Christ calls us to as Christ followers is to recognize that we are of the kingdom of God. We are of the kingdom of God. I'm going to shout it in a minute if you don't shout back at me. We are of the kingdom of God. And he has called us out of the world to follow him so that we might give praises to his glorious and magnificent grace and know and know and know and know that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. And that's what he's called us to proclaim. Abraham's journey was a journey of faith, just like your journey and my journey is a journey of faith, as we trust and believe the Word of God only. The writer in Hebrews says this about Abraham in chapter 11. He says, by faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob heirs with him of the same promise. For he, Abraham, was looking forward to the city 
that has foundation, whose designer and builder is God. Just as we are to look forward to the city that has foundation, whose architect and builder is God. Those at the Tower of Babel wanted to build this great architectural structure. I find it interesting, remarkable really, that the only architectural structures that are given credit to Abraham are the altars that he built to worship God. You see, we live in a culture that praises bigger is better, right? Nothing wrong, again, with big homes. Nothing wrong with having things that God blesses us with. The question is, are we holding on to those things or are we looking for it, abandoning all the satisfaction and gratification that we might find in worldly things and looking for the city that God has called us to? Because I'm telling you, it'll make a great difference in the way that we live our lives. It'll make a great difference in whether or not we just have Jesus around our neck or we're a disciple of Jesus. You see, Abraham recognized and was willing to dwell in tents, and God blessed him. we got to understand, recognize Abraham was really blessed by God. Nothing wrong with that. But that didn't possess Abraham. Abraham realized that there was a greater call in his life, just as you and I need to realize that there is a greater call in our lives. And that is to proclaim the name of Jesus. Let me wrap this up. Five quick things. <laughs> wrap it up. It'll take about 20 minutes, but I'm going to wrap it up. Quickly. Here's five things that I find in Abraham's life about true faith that I, I pray to God that he would grow these in me. Number one, True faith are those believers who believe and bear the Word of God. Number two is this. True faith is the one who steps out on God's Word alone, and that's all they need. True faith are those followers wherever God's Word directs them, they obediently go. One who has true faith is one who builds altars and worships God wherever they go. And lastly, one who has true faith is the one who in that sojourning proclaims the name of the Lord. May God grow us that we have true faith. May God grow us in that, in believing that what is impossible for us to accomplish in our own efforts for the kingdom of God, that God has said He will build His kingdom and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
Will God help me tomorrow? Would he help you tomorrow that as we intentionally go out in our community, in our schools, that, that we're in tune and we listen to the Holy Spirit and we get an opportunity and we, and we hear that voice say, testify unto me. The poor deputy sheriff yesterday that came when I set off the alarm, when I came into work yesterday, David missed the call, and so do I. Deputy Sheriff steps up, and I hear this little thing. You got him. It wasn't long. It was a quick testimony to the love of God in Christ Jesus. And I prayed. God, I pray the rest of the day that Deputy Sheriff is just bugged by that statement that the Holy Spirit would bear in his life. You see, we never know. I didn't give him the Romans road. There wasn't time for that. But God wants to use you and I every day where we are. Let's be intentional. Let's ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, use me today. Or where we come across an individual where his seed's already been planted and we recognize it, and by the graces and mercies of God, we're able to extend that and help cultivate that seed of the gospel that's been planted in their heart. And if God would so favor us by letting us enjoy watching him save somebody. Oh. You see, he's the one that does the saving. He just lets us watch. Would we be intentional and pray those things that God would use us. Father, we love you. God, we thank you so much. I thank you, God, for your grace in this bumbling bum's life, God. Lord, that by your grace you called us. God, by your grace you saved us. God, by your grace you're going to keep us. Now, God, burn this word in our hearts, oh God. Lord, we love you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.